0: the people
1: a podcast giving a christian perspective on news politics hot topics and so much more hosted by rodney nesmith worship pastor at new life fellowship in lovelock nevada this week rodney is joined by stella Morabito, the author of the weaponization of loneliness how tyrants stoke our fear of isolation to silence divide and conquer
0: the latest episode of we the people will start right after this quick commercial break Jake from State Farm. I really want that personal price plan. So I'll admit it. I'm a bath bomb guy. Dude, you do not need to get that personal. The State Farm personal price plan simply helps you create an affordable price just for you. For real? Who's ready for their jazz bath? No? (laughs) Who is that guy? Jazz bath? Call or click to get a quote today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: And now it's time for We The People. Here's Rodney.
0: Good evening, everybody. This is Rodney with the We The People podcast coming at you. And my guest tonight is Stella Morabito. She has a book called The Weaponization of Loneliness, How Tyrants Stoke Our Fears of Isolation to Silence and Divide and Conquer. All right, Stella. Tell us about your book and uh, how this all came about.
1: Well, thank you. Yes. Uh, well, I was kind of looking for a common thread that tied together, uh, you know, all of the really damaging agendas that we've been dealing with. Uh, you know, whether it's in education or the subversion of all the other institutions. And um, my my uh, conclusion was that uh, these things would not have gotten to the point, the dangerous point they are now without a whole lot of self-censorship, without a whole lot of people shutting up about what they believe or even lying about what they believe. So why do they do this? Why do people constantly do this and give oxygen to so many bad agendas and destructive agendas? And um, well, people do it because they're they everybody all human beings have a hardwired need to connect with others and at the same time they have a uh, primal fear of being ostracized of being socially rejected and uh and so that is really what uh causes or triggers that decision to go along with a conformity impulse and uh you know try not to be politically correct especially because so much of what i call the machinery of loneliness involves demonization the use of slurs and smears like you know you know the whole list whether it's bigot hater or you know conspiracy theorist the list goes on and on and um you know people are fearful of getting smeared uh, with, with those uh, labels. And so they, they uh, tend to self-censor. And that's where I think most of our uh, big problems come from.
0: I completely agree with that. Um, people are very afraid of getting ostracized. Uh, and through the whole COVID thing is a perfect example of it because yes. there were people so afraid to be around other people, so afraid to you know, stand up for what they believed in, You know, as far as Mm -hmm. wearing a mask or not wearing a mask or getting vaccinated or not getting vaccinated. And, you know, the stigma that went along with those things that it caused people to just stay away from everybody. Well,
1: not yes, and, and even worse, I think that uh, you know our own president uh, cultivated a lot of the hostilities by saying this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, and yeah. uh, and that was promoted by um, Anthony Fauci and the CDC and all of that kind of cultivating this fear of you know dying really uh or yeah when when we know that the the virus was almost 100 percent recoverable for anybody who didn't have any other serious health problems so uh you know this whole this whole illusion of uh you know extreme danger from other people and being close to other people and the isolation was kind of beyond the pale it wasn't just that we were Uh, literally required to stay apart from one another under house arrest. It's horrible for people living alone and especially for the elderly. And especially, I mean, I call it the sadism, the official sadism of forcing people to die alone in in bureaucratic environments. And and so all of this together, this this isolation that Americans had never really experienced anything like that before to that extent. Um, You know, what... Uh, coupled with the cultivation of these hostilities, where families would bar uh, people from coming to, you know, family members from coming to Thanksgiving yep. dinner if yep. they didn't, you know, if they didn't get tested or didn't really show papers, and and so the whole thing was uh, very demoralizing and uh, and very damaging to civil society.
0: Yeah, and it was, and uh, I think the ones that. Like you said, with the hospitalization thing, the people that had to die alone in the hospital, that's disgusting. I mean, that is that is the most repulsive thing I I can think of. I mean, where people couldn't even, you know, they'd be watching each other die on a live stream kind of thing. That's just sick.
1: Oh, well, and and we know there's been so much documentation that, you know, solitary confinement is like the. Most uh, feared punishment among prisoners because of what it does to you inside, what it does to you, uh, you know, mentally and emotionally. And, and, and beyond that, separation was considered even worse than physical punishment for slaves. I mean, back yep. in the era of slavery, what, they, what was most brutal was being separated from your family members was, Mm -hmm. you know, and so anyway, I'm kind of going off on a tangent there, but I guess I just like listeners to become a little more acquainted with how, um, you know, historically uh, separation and isolation has been used to control people.
0: Yeah, yeah, it definitely has. And uh, it was definitely used to control people throughout the COVID thing, even around the world, for that matter, not just here in the U.S., but around the world. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, and then it passed right on down to the kids where they couldn't go to school. They couldn't see their friends. They couldn't socialize all these kinds of things. And it really damaged the educations of kids. Yes. Yes, you Absolutely.
1: Know, so- yeah, the, um, yeah that's a whole other issue, you know, with uh, the, yeah. the damage that was done to children. I mean, especially really young children who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they tried to get them to mask up. And now a lot of them are like verbally behind. They, you know, yeah. it, it's it's uh, and then, of course, for children who had learning issues uh, and, you know, couldn't you know, everybody's masked up. When they did go to school, but, you know, and then, of course, the other issue was the excessive screen time that yep. uh, that people ended up uh, becoming immersed in, especially children, as a yep. result of the cutting off of all of this face-to-face uh, connection that we need as human beings.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're social creatures. We're not made to be isolated.
1: Well, you can't survive. That's right. In severe isolation, people just they don't survive.
0: Yeah, it's and I mean, like you said, it's a, it's a isolation gets to your men, gets to your mental state. It It's, you know, let's say form. I mean, there's a reason that isolation is used in prisons, you know, for the mm-hmm. worst of the worst. And and it's even mm-hmm. a torture uh, mm-hmm. tool, you know, isolate and, mm-hmm. you know, just leave people alone for days or weeks at a time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and that would speak to why human beings at least subconsciously have an intense and very primal universal terror of being completely isolated or, you know, in the biblical terms, cast into the outer darkness. Right. I mean, it's it's um, uh, and that's why it is such a powerful impulse to conform. Very natural. Mm-hmm. But we have to become. I wrote the book because I thought uh, weaponization of loneliness, because I just felt it was so important for us to take a deep dive into these dynamics and how they operate on us and within us. Uh, because uh, if we don't, I fear we're just going to lose our freedom.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. So tell us more about um, you know about about your book. Tell you know go into that a little bit more.
1: Well, I pretty much kind of divide it into three sections where I look at the history of, uh, of these phenomena. Uh, the, and, uh, then I, you know, I look at the science of it and I look at, uh, how, what I call the machinery of loneliness, uh, which the three main components our identity, politics, political correctness, and mob agitation, all of those things operate together to try to get us to uh, shut up and obey. Right. And and uh, and then, of course, I look at the uh, institutional corruption and subversion uh, that has cut us off in so many ways from real education, from real health care. I mean, you know, so much, there's been so much corruption, even of medicine, of you know, even the military now uh, yeah. with all of this wokeness that uh, it's as though there's very there's very few places to turn. But I look at the history from the French Revolution on to the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia and Stalin's reign of terror and how the war on private life in all of these um, utopian uh, systems or totalitarian systems that always used the promise of utopia right to to sustain themselves uh you know including of course mao's cultural revolution in china which was so brutal oh
0: yeah
1: uh, and and uh and how the population was controlled in just this way through that machinery of loneliness uh, and, uh, you know, th- which included, they didn't call it identity politics at the time, but very, you know, surely they had identity politics in the French revolution, you know, you're a Jacobin or you were against, uh, you know, the revolution or you were, you know, uh, they had this de christianization campaign mm-hmm. where they uh, made a point of trying to eliminate the Catholic church. So it, it um, you know, historically it goes way back and uh, in modern history for sure. Uh, And then, um, you know, the science, you know, of the conformity impulse and how that operates on us uh, and those experiments that were done uh, by Solomon Ash in the 1950s, really fascinating about how people will conform. They'll deny the evidence of their own eyes, um, even for something that's not controversial at all, not political. as long as everybody else is going uh, along with it i mean for example his main experiment had to do with the length of a line i mean mm-hmm. you know you match up one line with a choice of three lines and if everybody else is saying give the incorrect answer just 75% of the time the subjects gave it agreed at, at, you know at least once in the trials with mm-hmm. with the incorrect answer because they didn't want to be like uh, looked at as a misfit so, uh, and, and yet it was, there was nothing, uh, controversial about it. It's just the length of the line. So it yeah. just shows how ingrained this conformity impulse is. And, and I also look at the Milgram experiments, um, which, uh, you know, he wrote that book called obedience to authority, uh, really concerned, uh, didn't want to believe that Americans could go the way of the Nazis and uh, inflict, um, uh, you know uh inflict cruelty and pain on people it was right. they called the shock experiments uh he thought maybe Americans were immune to that and he was uh upset that no they aren't um <laughs> uh, you know it yep. wasn't just you know it was something human it not just uh you know Nazi not just you know in Germany so uh anyway um I, you know, I look at the different demographics. So the book is pretty dense. It's got a lot of material packed in it because there was so much I wanted to say that I felt mm-hmm. had not really been said uh, all in one place before. So, okay. so that's that's why I wrote it. I, I just think it's critical that Americans get a better handle on how these dynamics work and how these patterns, uh, you know, cause us to uh conform and comply uh against our better judgment.
0: Yeah, I agree because you know we you just can't do it. I mean, I I mean I I look at and I keep using COVID as an example because it fits so well um mm. into this whole thing that you're talking about because it's exactly what they did. They isolated people. They demonized people if they didn't go along with the isolation. Mm-hmm. Or with the masks, or the separation, or whatever else, you were you were causing people to die. You were going to make people die, and all of mm-hmm. this kind of thing. And it was all baloney. I mean, propaganda. Mm-hmm. It was propaganda, pure and simple.
1: Right, a social control. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not kind of an experiment, but at the same time. Uh, you know, it was uh, an attempt to actually, and this is even worse, um, uh, instill a social credit system. I think during COVID, this was really the mandates gave Americans their first taste of what a social credit system is like. And for your listeners who might not be aware, Um, There is a social credit system set up in in communist China, and it basically means that your access to goods and to services depends on your political compliance. You actually get scored based on your political compliance. So if you have too low a score, social credit score, you can't even get on a bus or a train. Uh, you, you can't, uh, you know, you get decent housing. You can't, uh, you know, if you have really high score, maybe you, they'll let you have a pet or, you know, something, these kinds of incentives. So, um, it's, uh, it's pretty insidious, uh, where this whole thing's going because in COVID, as you know, it was like social credit system. Uh, You had to show papers in places to get into a restaurant or or a concert or even, you know, to get on a plane or train. And and, uh, the same thing um, for, uh, you know, if you didn't get the injection, a lot of uh, employers would – yeah, you know, we'll let you go. You, you would be mm-hmm. fired. Yeah. So all of these things operate, uh, to instill that fear. And of course, losing your livelihood is a form of isolation. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, all of these things have to do with telling people you can't, you can't be a full member of society unless you conform and comply and obey with these yeah. mandates.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and it's a huge, um, it's a control issue in my mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they they want to control us, you know, especially in those situations so that we, you know, either comply or we become an outcast, so to speak. Um, Mm -hmm. I know with me, I was a rebel with the whole COVID thing from the word go. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I mean, I didn't wear a mask unless I absolutely couldn't go into a place without one. And if I saw one other person in the place without one, mine immediately went in my pocket. I'm like, no, yeah. if there's another person, I'm not wearing mine. Yeah. So
1: you know, it was very interesting how that worked in a lot of places. Now, you know, I live in the mid-Atlantic. Uh, you know, I I, I I'm not in Washington, DC or a big city. I'm kind of in a more uh rural area and I shop yeah. in the suburbs. Me too and uh, and 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 so it was interesting. I would go into a store, grocery store, during the height of all of this, and everybody would be masked. This was like in maybe April 2020, May 2020. Right. And I, I, you know, by then I, it was pretty clear to me what the game was all about. Yeah. But um, I would go in without a mask and quite often nothing would happen. Oh, nobody yeah. would say a word about it even those who are supposedly authorities now if I went into uh, a suburb of Washington dc like that then you have the little masked Nazis in the school oh, yeah telling, they all <laughs> oh, put it above your nose even yep. you know I mean there was all that but mm-hmm. um, but here's the irony here's the big irony about compliance when we comply uh, too much The irony is we may think, We're getting relief from isolation we may think that if we shut up and comply we won't be ostracized or at least we'll get that pat on the back be accepted Mm -hmm. but all that really does in the long run not even in the long run you know it's not that long yeah (laughs) i mean the things are getting sewn up too fast now in terms of tyranny but you end up isolating yourself even even further you end up becoming even more beholden to that system the more you comply so the answer i believe is really lots of talking not with you know necessarily all these officials and everything but just Mm -hmm. to your neighbors to people who implicitly trust you even if they don't know what you believe and just get lots and lots and lots of conversations and free speech going in that local local private sphere of life because that's where the real power is
0: yeah yeah um the town well i'm in rural nevada now i used uh, but i'm originally from california and my my kids are still in California and most of my grandkids and we would go down there during COVID. And, you know, you weren't supposed to have so many people at a house and blah, blah, blah. blah. We completely ignored that. And, um, but the town that we were from with a mayor, we used to, in fact, he's my ex brother-in-law, um, deemed their city a constitutional city and so they would not comply with california's mandates in that city were you in the inland empire yeah yeah uh northern california a little north of sacramento
1: okay i'm from california myself i'm i'm from um i was born in la and uh you know i'm i'm uh, from the san gabriel i grew up in the san gabriel valley okay um but you know i haven't lived there for many many years but uh you know I go back uh, i used to go back and visit a whole lot yeah uh be, but because of all the travel restrictions and everything i went longest time of my life without going back i finally went back in september uh, last year. And, um, you know, it was, it was nice. I mean, you know, I got to see a lot of folks and yeah. there were no masks and, and all of that. So, um, you know, but it was really bad. I mean, they were shutting off electricity if your neighbors snitched on you for having like eight people at your house instead that of is six. Insane. Or, you know,
0: insane.
1: Oh yeah. 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 That was great. What the, what's the name? The mayor of LA was doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and they were talking about doing that all over California. Yeah, they'll come and turn your power off. They'll turn your water off. They'll do this. They'll do that. And it's like, are you kidding me right now? Do you know um, how communistic you sound? Oh, yeah.
1: Well, Americans just aren't used to that sort of thing. We just, we've just we gotten just too complacent. We think yeah, that we've had these freedoms. They're never going to go away. You don't have to do anything to preserve them. And uh, I hopefully this is a wake-up call. Yeah, that yeah I, I you, you can't yeah because for me
0: do. for me it was like you know and i and i have and i know this it's like you give up freedoms they don't give them back no way they no, do not give no them back either. in fact they'll require you give up more
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah until you're completely enslaved and mm-hmm. um uh i just i just believe it's really important that people understand this pattern Yeah, Uh, this pattern of totalitarianism and tyranny, this pattern of the conformity impulse and human behavior that causes us to give up our freedom for a little bit of um, convenience or Mm -hmm. safety. Oh, it's like it reminds me that Ben Franklin quote, those who would how does it go? Those who would give up their freedom for safety deserve neither. Yeah. Or deserve, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
0: exactly. Uh, I don't
1: remember the exact quote, but well, but, you were, uh, you were pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, we've gotten, we've gone so far along in this, uh, you know, bad road that mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we've got a lot of work, uh, cut out for us trying to turn things around, but we have no choice. Yeah. Um, you Agreed. know, if we, if we want to live, uh, a really human life, uh, a free life as free human beings, we, we have to try and turn this around. And of course it doesn't take a majority to do that. No. Uh, it takes a courageous minority Yeah, that will speak out, speak up and, uh, and encourage and embolden others to do the same, because when everybody's speaking up, mm-hmm. their tyranny really can't root itself. And they and tyrants know this. That's why censorship is like their number one. Oh yeah, uh, it, it's their number one concern is to shut people up so that uh, the population generally doesn't have access to any other narrative except for theirs. And, and this has been true, I mean, throughout history. I mean, if you look at the Bolshevik revolution, the first thing that the Bolsheviks did when they, you know, was take over the, um, at the time, I guess there wasn't really radio, but the telegraph office and the newspapers and all of the sources of communication and information were taken over so that they yep. could rule with strict censorship and no other line except their own Communist Party line. And this is, you know, this is exactly why you see these really un-American ideas, uh, like the so-called misinformation governance board and how, you know, know, misinformation is a threat to, you know, democracy. I mean, it's, um, it's just really, and it's quite the other way around. You entrust the mass state with all information and you're only going to get misinformation, disinformation from mm-hmm. the state. That's all yeah. you get, oh, yeah. propaganda, yeah. that's it. So people need to be uh, talking to one another about what they believe and how they see things uh, and their own perspectives. And they need to have open conversations, lots and lots and lots of open conversations on the local level. And uh, and that's really you know what ripples outward to allow freedom to take root again.
0: Yeah. Well, what amazed me is how easily people went along with the lockdowns, with the Mm -hmm. masks, with the whole thing. It it amazed me how easily they were willing to just conform and comply Mm -hmm. without having any evidence of what the government was telling us was gonna happen. They were, you know, they were saying, oh, millions are gonna die this and that and then you know all this kind of thing and it's like wait a minute it's Mm -hmm. a virus it's not you know it's not the plague Mm -hmm. it's not you know the bubonic plague or whatever it's like and it's like I don't get it it was like why in the world is everybody just going along with this nonsense right right
1: well, I think the thing we have to remember is that this uh, that kind of complacency uh, or that kind of compliance and conformity uh, doesn't just happen overnight um, yeah, the, sure. it, it developed over generations um you know decades of for example uh, uh, what I call the cultivation of ignorance in the schools yeah uh, when you have a really ignorant, You know, population generation that is not taught the basics of Mm -hmm. knowledge uh, and instead is just kind of being indoctrinated into, you know, wokeness or whatever you want to call it. Uh, You know, all of these uh, really kind of cultic, (laughs) you know, behaviors Um, in the schools and especially, uh, I I have a whole chapter on education in my book, The The Weaponization of Loneliness, uh, about how the corruption and subversion of education in the United States has affected the population. And, and, And one of the key issues is how just content knowledge has been stolen Yeah. From a generation. I mean, you see these men on the street interviews, man. I mean, young woman, young guy and they they can't tell you where you know that Japan is a country or they can't tell you that you know when the civil war was fought or or what the north and the south they don't know i mean they have no context Mm-mm. so what what do what do they do i mean all they have is the propaganda that comes across mainstream media day after day and yeah. they just you know like in 1984 they just kind of absorb it and and um you know that so that's really, <laughs> it's a tall order what we have to deal with. Yeah, but, but the thing to remember is that the conformity impulse can actually work the other way. Um, you know, if you have a courageous minority uh, that emboldens others to speak up, it does have a trickle down effect mm-hmm. and can, um, you know, you know, change to a certain extent or help alleviate some of the ignorance that we're dealing with and it's not just ignorance I mean it's isolation that comes from oh, family yeah. brokenness there's been so much family brokenness yeah. uh brokenness of faith communities and actual true community because when you break down the family uh you know there's uh communities have less of a chance, true communities have less of a chance to get established. So that's why it's really up to those of us who have strong bonds of friendship and family to fall back on in right. hard times. Unlike these kids who have come from so much brokenness and, and ignorance and everything. Yeah. Uh, it's up to us to kind of lead the way in trying to rebuild civil society through real conversation and real discourse with others, friendly and, uh, you know, outreach.
0: Yeah. On a local level. True. And, you know, sometimes I have found it is very hard with, uh, and I, I'll just say certain people to have a friendly conversation about these subjects, because yes. the in it, you don't agree with them. There is hostility galore. And then you, you know, it's some, it's with, I'm not saying with all people, but there are some out there that it's very right. hard to have a civil conversation with about COVID about what's going on in the country, about education, right. about pretty much anything.
1: Right. And and that's due to a lot of factors. Uh, Hostility, as I said at the outset of our conversation, has kind of been bred into the culture. I mean, you know, separating and dividing people and creating those hostilities is all part and parcel of identity politics. It's all about separating us. And so it's as though these folks that you try to talk to have been conditioned to be hostile in a lot of ways. Um, But, you know, there are still a lot of folks out there who are really craving real information and real conversation. And, um, you know, it's kind of up to us to kind of put our toe in the water and make judgments. I mean, everybody has their own threshold True. as to how much hostility they can absorb from others. <laughs> but, but you know, just I've found, and, you know, this has happened, um, you know, you may use your judgment, but... You know, when you're talking to somebody, I've said this many times uh, to groups uh, who implicitly trust you, maybe it's a neighbor or, you know, just someone, who you know, you're on good terms with, hey, hi. but they don't necessarily know what your politics are, what your beliefs are. Right. Um, I have found that one of three things can happen in a situation like that. If you let your hair down and you just kind of say if a subject comes For up me, or even if it doesn't. Yeah. I, oh, there you go. Uh, but if, if you just uh, say, well, you know, I'm on the other side on that issue or, mm, man, I am, you know, I, I have a lot of questions about these injections or, you know, if it, whatever the conversation is about. Yeah. I have found that there are three general reactions. Number one, and this is very gratifying. You have emboldened a like minded thinker who is so afraid to express exactly what you were saying and said, yeah, you know, oh, I thought I was the only one. And and so that is worth a lot. And then the second thing that might happen is you're dealing with someone who doesn't really, isn't really connected and doesn't really uh, follow these things. And that's very good. So you've influenced that person. And of course, the reason most of us shut up is because we're fearful of what you just said, that hostility that can come out. But if you're having conversation with someone who implicitly trusts you, you, know, you're on, you know, you've been on good terms with, or, or even if it's just a friendly person in the store or whatever, um, they may disagree, but by expressing what you really believe, you've done something big and that's you've watered down the stereotype that the media associates with that viewpoint. They have a face-to-face encounter with someone who does not buy into that media line. And that is worth a lot. And over time, if they have enough of those kinds of encounters, that totally waters down the stereotype. I mean, all of these interpersonal kinds of conversations are, they're worth a lot. Uh, Even if, now, of course, you don't go into them with a sense of hostility, like, oh, I hate all, I hate all those people who keep, you know, but. Yeah, that won't work. Yeah, generally doesn't work. But people really do crave friendship. I mean, there's so much brokenness right now and, and, and crave real conversation. And, And when people get hostile, I think part of it is the fear that, you know, because there's been so much hostility associated maybe with our viewpoint, the fear that, that by you know, guilt by association, or you know, whatever else we've it's accumulated for so long. Uh, these politically, you know, the this um uh succumbing to political correctness and self censorship mm-hmm. has gone on for so long that we've got a lot of sort of pathologies we have to heal from, we yeah. have to we have to go through that process. It may not be, uh, uh, you know, a lot of fun at times, but it's a process of getting well of rebuilding civil society to something healthy. Right. And, uh, and then, you know, it requires, uh, you know, some work.
0: Yeah, it does. And, and risk. Uh, yeah, it does. You have to kind of put yourself out there a little bit. And some people are a little more afraid to do that than others. Um, You know, I look at uh, when we were going through the COVID, we, I was still, I was deemed an essential worker because I work for a paint company, which always cracked me up. Um, But I guess people needed paint really bad. Um, Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, our company tried to, well, and did invoke a mask mandate while we were at work, even though there was, we only had about 12 employees and we're in a warehouse. We weren't open to the public. Wow. All that kind of thing. So we had to wear masks, which I was a rebel and refused to do. And we would have to take our temperature every day when we walked in the building. And if we had a fever, we got sent home. And oh, then wow. you'd have to then you'd have to take a covid test. And all oh. that kind of yeah. And then all that kind of thing. Um, and I just uh, I just refused to wear a mask. I mean, I would wear it if there were some strangers in the warehouse that weren't normally there. Um, but if it was just the regular employees and stuff, I flat out refused to. I mean, I would go into our meetings where everybody else was wearing a mask and I would not do it. And, and, and they
1: didn't they didn't throw you out or anything, huh? Good for nope, you. My, my for boss you.
0: never called me out. And then it was going to get to the point where they even brought up having max, uh, mandatory vaccinations. Ugh. And I was I was like, oh, no, we're not you yeah. know i said and me and about five or six other people said i'll quit first we mm-hmm. will not get that injection mm-hmm. and so then they kind of tamed it down well if you don't get the injection then you're going to have to take a test every week i said okay i'll do that mm-hmm. i said but you're not i'm not getting that shot you can forget that yeah and, well good for uh, you <laughs> you know we just kind of we just took a stand and said no enoughs enough
1: right Right. No, that's good. And if more people did that, um, you know, you could create that sort of ripple effect, that cascade effect. Right. That that would uh, help turn things around. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's uh, hopefully uh, enough people woke up. They're going to come up with something else, of course, oh. that may be even oh. more threatening. But uh my hope is that enough people have learned their lesson i mean there's been a lot of realignment going on as a result of yeah, this. i mean you seen head. a lot of these uh matt taibbi who used to write for rolling stone you hear bill maher talking about uh how crazy a lot of this stuff is uh, yeah. a lot of these folks on the left and, and even like with the transgender thing jk rowling who uh, is re, you know, she's not backing down uh, and uh, these kinds of things allow and, you know, it's great that they have big platforms and that allows oh, yeah, more sure. more people to, uh, you know, kind of, quote, come out. But um, it, it's um, it, it's just going to take uh, a long it's going to take a lot of resolve to push back against that very natural impulse. But my hope is that when I wrote The Weaponization of Loneliness, that I, you know, for the people who read my book, that they will be able to develop a, um, a, a greater awareness of these patterns of right. these dynamics. In fact, one of the things I suggest in my, um, uh, in my conclusion, which is called throwing a wrench into the machinery of loneliness, are discussion groups about just these kinds of things. Uh, Book clubs where you talk about uh, the effects of propaganda. There's so many good books out there and articles that people don't really know about. And of course, movies have a lot of the, there's a lot of good movies with these themes in them. So different groups can get together. I just think it would be great if there were more and more people who discussed these dynamics And built a more public awareness of how these kind of dynamics, propaganda, and censorship, and political correctness, how they uh, can be so damaging to uh, our society and our personal relationships. I mean, we started out talking about the hostilities that the the COVID mandates cultivated among family members and friends, and this is uh, very damaging. So. uh, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I think if we discuss these things more, I think we get a little closer to to solving things.
0: Yeah, I agree. And you know, you were talking about propaganda. And if if you want to see a great example of what propaganda can do, look at Germany around the World War II era. Because Hitler wasn't uh, didn't come in as a dictator when he came into power. He was not, you know, all this. But little by little, with propaganda spread by You know, Mm -hmm. him taking over the papers and all of those kinds Mm -hmm. of things. Pretty soon that whole country was sucked in and going down the wrong road.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Uh, that's exactly right. You know, all totalitarian regimes like that, whether it's Hitler's Germany or Stalin and Lenin's Soviet Union or Mao's China or the Kims of North Korea, uh, they cannot abide even one word of oh, no. dissent. And that should tell you everything you need to know if you say, oh what can I do? I, I'm just one person. Well, they don't want even one person speaking. That's right. You. So that's right. there's a lot you can do in a face-to-face yeah. conversation with someone.
0: Yeah, absolutely agree. And uh, that's you know it's what we need. We need like I said before, we're social creatures we need to be around other people we need friendship we need family that's the way we're built we're not built to be isolated or you know you know a man unto himself no man is an island so to speak that's Mm -hmm. very appropriate and uh that's just the way we're made and to try to deny that is ridiculous
1: that's right that's right and uh so anyway uh it's just something that we need to develop a keener awareness of and Mm -hmm. and as we do that as we start talking more and more about these dynamics my hope is that uh we'll you know come to a better place
0: yeah yep absolutely agree absolutely agree well stella morabito i want to thank you for your time today thank you and uh and go ahead and plug your book again, get that t- title out there so that people.
1: Can oh look. yeah. It's called the, the weaponization loneliness. You can see Anthony Fauci on the cover. He's kind of, I don't go into, I don't talk a lot about Fauci in the book, but he's kind of the symbol of right. the weaponization of loneliness oh, yeah. for our yep, era. Yep. And there he is scolding us from a vintage TV, which I think yeah. is very symbolic as well. Yeah. But um it's available on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's it's available online, basically, yeah. uh, wherever books are sold online. And uh, I do have a blog that I try to keep up. It's called StellaMorabito.net. And I write for The Federalist. I've been a senior contributor there since 2014. And awesome. So you can find my work there at TheFederalist.com slash author slash author. Stella Morabito, one word. And then uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Stella underscore Moribido. So anyway. I'll
0: have have to do that then.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. So thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking to you. You too.
0: Been a a pleasure, been a pleasure. And uh, for everybody out there tonight listening, and when we put this out, I mean, go get her book and let's talk more, not less, and let's, uh, let's be the social people that we're meant to be. And uh, again, Stella, thank you for being on. You've been a great guest and uh, with some great information for, for us to hear and hopefully to actually internalize and do something about. It.
1: Well, thank you, Ronnie. I really enjoyed talking to you. Have a, have a, you know, great evening.
0: All right. That's it for thank We you. The People tonight, folks. Uh, again, subscribe, listen, and share, and let's get, uh, get our message out. and. From We the People, and from me, Rodney, and from Stella Morabito, we'll uh, see you all next week. Thanks and good night.
1: Thank you.